Justification In a very real sense, justification must be separated from psychology. It has to do with a legal fact rather than a feeling. Burkhoff has pointed out that the Hebrew word hitzdik means to declare judiciously that one state is in harmony with the law, Exodus 23.7, Deuteronomy 25.1, Proverbs 17.15, and Isaiah 5.23. The New Testament word dakaio means to declare a person to be just. Burkhoff's exposition is so clear that he merits quoting in some detail. To justify in the scriptural sense of the word is to affect an objective relation, the state of righteousness, by a judicial sentence. This can be done in a twofold way. A, by bringing into account the actual subjective condition of a person to justify the just or the righteous, James 2.21, or B, by imputing to a person the righteousness of another, that is, by accounting him righteous, though he is inwardly unrighteous. The latter is the usual sense of justification in the New Testament. Regeneration is the renewing work within man, which is affected by God's sovereign grace. Regeneration reveals itself in conversion and faith. Justification is the juridical aspect of salvation. Justification is a judicial act of God, in which he declares on the basis of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that all the claims of the law are satisfied with respect to the sinner. It is unique in the application of the work of redemption in that it is a judicial act of God, a declaration respecting the sinner, and not an act or process of renewal, such as regeneration, conversion, and sanctification. While it has respect to the sinner, it does not change his inner life. It does not affect his condition, but his state, and in that respect differs from all the other principal parts of the order of salvation. It involves the forgiveness of sins and restoration to divine favor. In justification, the legal consequence of Christ's atoning death is applied to the sinner whom God is regenerating. Burkhoff, to bring out the meaning of justification more plainly, contrasted it to sanctification. 1. Justification removes the guilt of sin and restores the sinner to all the filial rights involved in his state as a child of God, including an eternal inheritance. Sanctification removes the pollution of sin and renews the sinner ever increasingly in conformity with the image of God. 2. Justification takes place outside of the sinner in the tribunal of God and does not change his inner life, though the sentence is brought home to him subjectively. Sanctification, on the other hand, takes place in the inner life of man and gradually affects his whole being. 3. Justification takes place once for all. It is not repeated, neither is it a process. It is complete at once and for all time. There is no more or less in justification. Man is either fully justified or he is not justified at all. In distinction from it, sanctification is a continuous process, which is never completed in this life. 4. While the meritorious cause of both lies in the merits of Christ, there is a difference in the efficient cause. Speaking economically, God the Father declares the sinner righteous and God the Holy Spirit sanctifies him. It is thus very important to recognize that justification is God's judicial act, not a process or feeling in man. Having said this, it must be added that justification is a basic psychological need, a felt need, therefore, and a felt fact after the act. The existence of a pagan custom in Restoration England was noted by John Aubrey. The sin-eaters were still in existence in Aubrey's day. Aubrey's account, as cited by Dick, is of interest. In the county of Hereford, he notes, 
was an old custom at funerals to hire poor people who were to take upon them all the sins of the party deceased. One of these, I remember, lived in a cottage on Rose Highway. He was a long, lean, ugly, lamentable, poor rascal. The manner was that when the corpse was brought out of the house and laid on a buyer, a loaf of bread was brought and delivered to the sin-eater over the corpse, as also a mazerbowl of maple, gossip's bowie, full of beer, which he was to drink up, and sixpence in money, in consideration whereof he took upon him, ipso facto, all the sins of the defunct, and freed him, or her, from walking after they were dead. This custom alludes, methinks, something to the scapegoat in the old law. The cheapness of the price charge for the assumption of another man's sins is most surprising, for in the days before hell was abolished by the Privy Council, its terrors were very real, as is shown by Queen Elizabeth's dreadful deathbed vision of herself ringed by flames. In North Wales, the sin-eaters are frequently made use of, Aubrey adds, but there, instead of a bowie of beer, they have a bowl of milk. Winnick defines the sin-eater as a person who is paid and fed to take over the sins of the recently deceased, as in Wales. Bagford's letter of February 1st, 1714-15, gives evidence of this same custom, Bagford's authority being at least in part Aubrey. Within the memory of our fathers in Shropshire, in those villages adjoining to Wales, when a person died, there was notice given to an old sire, for so they called him, who presently repaired to the place where the deceased lay, and stood before the door of the house, when some of the family came out and furnished him with a cricket, on which he sat down facing the door. Then they gave him a groat, which he put in his pocket, a crust of dread, which he ate, and a full bowl of ale, which he drank off at a draught. After this, he got up from the cricket, and pronounced with a composed gesture the ease and rest of the soul departed, for which he would pawn his own soul. A variety of similar ways have been and are used by men to rid themselves of evil in order to stand justified before man and in their own conscience. Fraser cited many such practices in primitive societies. All of these have in common a belief in vicarious atonement by means of a sin-bearer. All presuppose a judicial burden of guilt which must be removed. All regard it as a social and personal necessity that justification be secured. Justification is thus a deep personal need as well as a judicial fact. Because man is created in God's image, he is geared to law, and he wants the moral order of the universe righted, and the moral order of his soul restored. Even in his sin, he longs for moral order, so that he brings judgment on himself and works subconsciously against his sin. Man, apart from God, serves God still, and is thus at war with himself in his every sin. But the wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Isaiah 57, 20-21 Even as he sins, man wants to be justified. Bowman, in describing the events leading to World War I, cited the fact that every nation began its catalog of self-justification even as it prepared for war. The blame rested on the others, always on the others. Each nation insisted on the necessity of defense, wherefore they attacked everybody else. The need for atonement, to have the burden of sin and guilt removed, and the need for justification, to stand innocent and free before men and in one's own conscience, are basic to men. Lacking atonement and justification, a very great amount of man's personal and social activity and energy are wasted in self-atonement and self-justification. 
the common expression, he's trying to justify himself, testifies to this deeply ingrained need. Men exhaust themselves trying to justify themselves, and in their imagination will endlessly rehearse past events, trying to find self-justification in things wherein their memory tortures and burns them. St. Paul, in Romans 3, 24-31, declares that the elect are justified by the grace of God through faith, without the deeds of the law. He emphasizes that he is not making void the law, but establishing the law. Because justification, a fact of law, is not attained by any work of man, but only by God's grace. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. 1 Corinthians 5.19 When man is rid of the self-torture of trying to justify himself, he has a glorious inner freedom and peace. For anyone who trusts in Christ as Savior to waste time on self-justification is a sin and an abuse of energy. Faulty theology, which requires a concentration on sins, is like a leaky pipe. It delivers too little water to the tap. The pressure and energy leaks out before it can accomplish its ordained purpose. A society in which godly justification prevails will thus be marked by social energy and vitality. Instead of dissipating its strength on inner warfare and futile self-justifications, it will move forward to reorder all things in terms of God's law word. Instead of being group-directed, inner-directed, or past-oriented, it will be future-oriented and God-directed. Where self-justification prevails, there is not only a waste of energy, but also blindness to the real issues. Turning again to wartime self-justification, during World War II, so capable and intelligent a writer as the British author A.P. Herbert wrote a series of poems in which Hitler was called a hog and Mussolini a dirty dog and the Italians called wops consistently. As an Irishman writing to convince Ireland of Britain's cause, he said, We are like virgins in a den of thugs. Concerning war aims, Herbert wrote confidently, We are arranging that never again shall a world be in pain because one man was vain. This surely is an amazing misreading of history. Before the Soviet Union entered the war, Herbert appealed for their entry, writing, Old anti-Russia, we know your mind, fraternally burns for all mankind. After the entry of the Soviet Union into the war, Herbert wrote, Brave Russia off the fence at last, we take your hand and praise your name, and we will put away the past, if all your friends will do the same. Here, the self-justification is most naked, we will put away the past. The role played by the Allies in making World War II possible, the balance of power politics of Britain, the inequities of the Versailles Treaty after World War I, the concessions to Hitler as against the pressures on Germany before Hitler, all this and more was conveniently put away, and only Hitler's evils remembered. Similarly, Germany made into a litany of self-justification all the evils that it suffered at Allied hands after World War II and used them to excuse its own evils. Germany too very conveniently put away the past where her obvious sins were concerned, to remember only the sins of others. After both world wars, the United States, through Wilson and Roosevelt and Truman, sought to put away the past and begin again, as though a sinning Adam can be put into Eden again without destroying it. When men in self-justification put away the past in order to deny their sins or to bypass them, they also put away their future, because they have ensured that their same sins, 
unacknowledged, will continue to govern their tomorrows as they did their yesterdays. The only difference between 1914 and 1971 is that the nations have become more adept at sinning and in self-justification. They remain blind as to consequences. Apart from God's justifying grace in Jesus Christ, there is no vision, and the people perish. Only the atoning blood of Jesus Christ can put away the past and give a new future. Jesus Christ is he who, now once in the end of the world, hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 9.26 By the end of the world, or in the consummation of time, means that era in which the whole divine disposition has its consummation. That is, at the entrance of the last season of God's dispensation of grace. It is also the end in that by Christ's atoning and justifying work, the old world of Adam is sentenced to death together with the old man, and the new world of Christ is begun by his resurrection. Self-justification blinds men and binds them to the past they seek to put away, whereas the justification wrought by Jesus Christ opens the eyes of men to their sinful past and frees them for a glorious future under God.